The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Elizabeth Hartman. Now, Katie, of course, the big story that's dominated the weekend is, of course, what's happening in Israel and Palestine. Talk us through what the UK government's been saying in response to it. So I think at the moment, it's very much a sense of just waiting and watching to see what the Israeli government actually do in the coming days when it comes to the ground invasion that's been talked about. You have the evacuation going on at the moment, and therefore the questions that the UK government is facing are much more about logistics. So... James Cleverly under pressure to say, how are you going to uh, get UK nationals out? Uh, There's also questions about the UK nationals that we're led to believe are part of the number of hostages Mm. currently in Gaza. And I think you also have cross-party unity at the moment. So there was a moment that... I think it was spread quite widely on Sunday of David Lammy, the Shadow Foreign Secretary, and James Cleverly meeting and actually almost embracing one another. And... It means for for many reasons that action really on this is not in Westminster. But Labour want to, you know, echo where the Tories are in terms of the policy. Keir Starmer so far has stopped there being splits on the Labour side in any significant way. But I think where this will be tested, and we'll have a statement from Rishi Sunak later about A, the response, but also issues in terms of are we seeing some of the division now spill out in the streets in the UK? I think that's an immediate problem for the government. Um, But I think when it comes to... What you keep hearing from both the Tories and Labour, which is they support Israel, but they want to see restraint. Well, once we see what Israel actually does, that's when I think the the real questions about what they mean by restraint will come into full force. Yeah, Isabel, Rishi Sunak's going to be making that statement this afternoon. But I think on this occasion, most people's eyes will be looking at the Labour backbenches and the Labour reaction on all this. Uh, Talk us through this. I mean, because surely it shows how under Keir Starmer, Labour has changed. Or certainly that's the image they would like to project. Yeah, and I think that was the the image they were able to project at their conference last week in in Liverpool as well. We have one of our colleagues, John Connolly, who I think went to almost every single fringe uh, that covered the Middle East um, to to see what the mood at conference was. And while emotions were running high, and while there was a you know there was a, a Palestinian solidarity protest outside the secure zone, it it didn't really get beyond a brief shouting match at that protest and a lot of the fringes weren't taking questions and so on and I think there was a real desire to try to keep a a lid on things but I think one of the things that has changed the mood a little bit over the past few days is the um the 24-hour deadline that Israel set at the end of last week for people to leave northern Gaza and and obviously what is going to happen in the coming days and Obviously, that that deadline wasn't kept strictly, but I think it it did shake up even people who were very supportive of uh, Israel's actions and its right to defend itself. Uh, You had Grant Shapps, the Defence Secretary, for instance, on Friday, refusing to fully endorse that 24-hour deadline and uh, and sort of dancing around the question a little bit by saying, look, he absolutely supports Israel's right to defend herself and making references to the way in which the IDF tend to do a, a a knock and drop in terms of trying to warn civilians to 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 get out of an area before um a full bombardment so 
I think there is some anxiety even amongst those who are who are very keen to be supportive of, of Israel that that as far as possible when targeting a terror group that likes to occupy uh, urban areas and use civilians as human shields Israel complies with international law and I think as you say when you get to you know the Labour backbenches and obviously Israel and Palestine has has long been a a topic of real difficulty within the party and I'm I'm not just talking about anti-Semitism, but actually the party's position on the two-state solution, the party's position on Palestinian statehood. And so there will be unease on the backbenches, and it will be interesting to see, I suppose, firstly, how far Starmer tries to preempt that this morning, perhaps with conversations with certain colleagues, but also how far it then is expressed in, in the statement uh, this afternoon. And away from that in Westminster, the big story has been what's happening in our prisons. Prison population has doubled over the last 30 years. And now there's obviously a lot of pressure on the prison service, which is now run out of spaces. Katie, Alex Chalk's response, the Justice Secretary, has been to announce these Texas-style reforms. Talk us through them. I think the idea of calling them Texas-style reforms clearly is to make them sound very tough, given Texas has the death penalty, um, something that tends to be quite popular amongst some target Tory voters. But in truth, when you look into the detail, I think you could argue parts of this are probably the opposite of what some would think of as tough, in the sense, one thing is, you know, limits on the use of short prison sentences to cut reoffending and reduce costs. And this is being driven by the fact there are just not enough prison spaces for people being convicted of crimes. And I think there's a constant tension you see, particularly with the churn we've had in terms of justice secretaries, which is you will often have cabinet ministers go out on the airwaves and they will say, you know, tougher sentences, longer sentences. And then you have your justice secretary thinking, well, that's all very well, but if we're not building enough prisons and we don't have the space, you can keep saying tougher sentences or you like, where are you going to put these people? The argument that can be made is, of course, that if it is the lighter crimes or, you know, the less serious crimes, probably easier to say, putting these people in prison can mean that they are more likely to reoffend. But you look at this with reports that, you know, some rapists, convicted rapists, are not going to go to prison in a way you would expect. And I think it's really hard to argue that this is something which is going to lead to, you know, a, po- a positive uh, impact. And it's also, I think, interesting that some of this was actually what, if we, if we go back to what David Gork was trying to do as Justice Secretary, and then you had, uh, you know, as Justice Secretary saying, you know, limits on use of short prison sentences to cut reoffending. But then he resigned, Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, and the whole scheme was scrapped. So we're almost where we were in, in parts of this, had this not been changed you know, several years ago. So I think there is an effort by Alex Chalk to dress it up in a certain way, but it is ultimately, in a way, the policy is an admission of problems. Isabel? Yeah, it's fascinating, because I, I remember going to a... Um a briefing by the Howard League for Penal Reform back in, I think it must have been 2013-2014, so a, a long time ago in Conservative government terms, where they were arguing for these Texas-style reforms. And they had an um, American campaigner, Grover Norquist, who, who came along and spoke to it was a group of Conservative MPs and political and social affairs journalists who, who were there. Um, and the argument then was, I mean, their, their argument, obviously, that, you know, that they're not particularly pro-prison, the Howard League, it's fair to say. Um, but their argument was that there are a lot of offences that people are being in prison for, which prison is not appropriate because, you know, as a sort of public protection place, these offences have not, uh, don't have as much to do with public protection as, as you know, 
as Katie said, um, rape and burglary. And as David Gork later argued, actually, and as Alex Chalk is, is arguing for, for different reasons today, prison does tend to uh, be a bit, bit of a sort of university of crime in that you go in a low level criminal and you come out with uh, many more skills. And I'm not talking about the ones that you learn in the kitchen or in the woodworking studios. So that is, I think it's very interesting that the government has sort of picked up on this now having largely, apart from David Gork, eschewed that idea of penal reform as being too sort of soft, liberal, conservative, a bit lefty, essentially, you know, a bit Ken Clark, I suppose. And it's funny what suddenly becomes attractive when you have a, a shortage of prison spaces. But I think it, it's really interesting also because this is this has been a crisis that has been well forecast and that ministers have been well aware of for a very long time. And it's not just a, a physical shortage of, of, you know, prison buildings and, and prison cells. It's also a problem across the prison estate in terms of staff. And there was quite a lot of disquiet within the justice world when the Conservatives kept boasting about their recruitment of more police officers, because one of the ways in which they've managed to be successful in this is because people are losing, uh, leaving prison jobs uh, to go and work in the police because it's more attractive. And that doesn't really help the overall law and order system within this country if you've got people who are catching the criminals but no one to lock them up. And so really the the, the reason that this crisis has sort of burnt on for so long is that no one's interested in justice. I mean, you know, people people who tend to cr- commit crimes, I mean, you know, they obviously don't vote when they're in prison. They don't tend to be particularly politically active even when they're not in prison. People don't particularly pay that much attention to prison conditions other than the idea that they sort of want everyone locked up the whole time. And uh, it's not it's not a salient issue when pollsters talk to people about what they're what they worry about. They worry about crime in their neighbourhoods. What happens to the criminals afterwards? They just assume that there's you know this sort of vast prison estate somewhere far far away from them. So I think it's really interesting that now justice and prisons has suddenly shot up the agenda, and you see as a result of that changes in policy, panicked changes in policy to, to try to deal with that. And finally, away from Westminster, completely the other side of the country, up in Aberdeen, the SNP are hosting the final of the party conferences. Katie, what's been happening? So you get back to what's happening in Israel and Palestine in the sense of Humza Yusuf's wife, her parents are stuck in Gaza when they're on a personal trip and now find themselves unable to get home. And therefore, I think that you see the SNP conference, which after the Rutherglen by-election and Scottish Labour taking it, had the, and still has, I suppose, but had the potential to become almost uh, rounding on Humza Yusuf mm. and saying, you know, uh, all these problems at SNP. And it's had a much more sombre tone, I think, in some of the ways, because it opened with um, his wife talking about how she's living a nightmare in terms of what's happening with her parents, the SNP ultimately having a statement urging the UK government to do more to open up a humanitarian corridor. So you still have the debates about independence going on, but I think it means in the use of his being widely praised for his handling of this and the fact that he, you know, he's met with 
the Jewish community affected, but he's also uh, speaking for you know, the Palestinians too. And it means he's actually finding some unlikely praise, I would say, or praise from people who tend not to find praise for him. And when it comes to independence, the new strategy is that, Hans Yusuf is arguing, and the SNP have agreed this, that if they win a majority of seats at the next election, they will have a mandate for independence, which means they can go and ask for an independence referendum. Of course, they can ask for an independence referendum all they want. Um, but currently in a place where were Rishi Sunak to be prime minister, big if, he would not grant it. And right now it does not feel as though Keir Starmer would grant one either. But I think the very fact that they've lowered the threshold, they could lose lots of seats and still technically have a majority, just shows you that they are uh, not expecting this huge loss, but they are bracing themselves for a difficult election. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.